going to invite you to two texts this morning. The first one being Psalm chapter 35 and verse 9. And then we will turn to 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 1. Our subject is the joy of salvation. This is our fourth and final message on that subject. And both of these texts reflect that phrase, the joy of salvation. Psalms 35 and verse 9 says, And my soul shall be joyful in the Lord, it shall rejoice in His salvation. And in 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 1, one of the greatest prayers in all of the Bible by a woman named Hannah, she says in verse 1 there, And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord, my horn is exalted in the Lord, my mouth is enlarged over mine enemies, because I rejoice in thy salvation." And that would be a sermon text in and of itself just looking at those phrases. But again, the joy of salvation. And when we speak of that, it's reflective and definitive of exactly what it is. We're talking about a joy that is in salvation alone. And that as you as a believer alone experience with other believers... It is the ultimate joy, it is the highest joy, it is the greatest joy humanly possible. No ifs, ands, or buts. There is nothing comparable to the joy of salvation. And we make that statement unapologetically because the scripture declares it and believers have experienced it all the way through the ages And if you're a believer today, I know whether you say it audibly, you feel it in your heart, a hardly amen, that it is true. What is your greatest joy? The joy of salvation. Any believer that would say they're a believer and has greater joy somewhere else is need to do some soul searching. But again, this is... There are other joys, we have dealt with them, but they are inferior and they are substitutes and they will not provide what the joy of salvation does. And the sad part is that none of those other inferior substitutes will do you any good in eternity. But this joy takes us right on through and into eternity. Now again, it's very simple. It is the joy of salvation, therefore only the saved experience it. Believers alone. And we would add, as we've reflected a little bit before, this is by degrees. In other words, we've said that the joy of salvation is like the faith that we have. It is like a muscle. It can fluctuate in degrees or strengths. In our sanctification, overall, the longer we're believers and grow, they should gradually grow on an upward trend, both our faith and our joy. But we have setbacks. We have things that can damper. But we do not have, nor will we encounter anything that will ultimately cause our faith to cease or our joy to absolutely come to nothing. Again, ups and downs, that's dependent upon us, but again, fluctuates like faith, and our pursuit is the highest joy we can have. And Christ spoke about that, I'll remind you of it a little later on. 
Now remember the last two messages we dealt with the joy that sinners have that we experienced before we had the joy of salvation. That joy was either in the covetous desire to get, accumulate, uh, fulfill lust and things like that or in the fleshly gratification by the five senses. So it is very sad, however it is true that most of our fellow creatures, most of the people we meet in life, most of the people we probably work with, and many of our family members know nothing of what we're talking about of this joy because it is the joy of salvation and you must be saved and born again to experience it. Well, it's pretty simple in a sense as we begin. What is the source of this joy? Well, we said it's the joy of salvation. David in Psalm 51 referred to it in another place. You know, when we started this series in the first message, he requested that the Lord restore unto him the joy of salvation. So without salvation, it's impossible. And what is salvation? Salvation is Jesus Christ. So this joy is in Christ because that's the only salvation there is. There are other imposters that claim salvation and likewise have a joy with them. Look at the charismatic movement. They, they claim to have all kinds of joy and stuff going on, right? I would declare to you there's probably not a group more devoid of true joy as the Bible defines it than those who are involved in the charismatic movement in that superficial, fleshly joy that it sells. I guess that would be one way to say it. So Christ is the only source of this joy. If Christ is your Savior, then you have the key to the treasure chest of the greatest joy any human being can ever experience. Now isn't that ironic when you stop and think about it? The people that have so much of this world and yet are unhappy, and yet a person can be absolutely have nothing and yet have the greatest joy. And that's the way it has been. And that's what Christ taught. And that's what people have experienced. I mean, let me put it to you like this. How much joy you think that widow had that put in her last two mites? <laughs> I mean, she had more joy than the, those that were putting in much more than that, didn't it? So it is that type of thing we are talking about. Now again, other religions, other faiths can't provide this joy. If it's outside of Christ, it's impossible. This joy only comes by faith in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll give you those scriptures again in a minute. We started with because he called it his joy. And he gives it to his people. Wonderful thought. Well, if it is based upon and the source of it is in salvation... What is it about our salvation that gives us joy? Well, that should be pretty elementary, pretty simple, shouldn't it? I mean, the obvious answer would be my sins have been forgiven. That's the bottom line. Now, I ask you, and I know you're believers. You've heard me preach a lot of things and a lot of truth here, and I know what you believe. But again, I'll just put it to you and for those on the tape. Do you know anything that could give you greater joy than knowing your sins have been forgiven? 
That is the ultimate. That is the ultimate knowledge. That is the ultimate thing to be assured of. That you're not hoping they've been put away. It's not a maybe thing. They have indeed been put away and therefore we rejoice. Not just when we meet here. We rejoice every time the thought comes in our mind and we think about it and think about the truth of Scripture and meditate upon it. That once and for all Christ put away the sins of His people. His name shall be called Jesus for He shall save His people from their sins. We would not have that assurance if it depended on us, but it does not depend on us. It depends on His finished work, and therefore we can rejoice not in what we have done, but we rejoice in what He has done to accomplish that. Romans 4, 7. Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. A quote from Psalms chapter 32 and verse 1, followed by blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. What a blessing. There's a lot of things in life that can be a blessing and a joy to you, but none no greater than know that Jesus Christ bore your sins on Calvary's cross once and for all. Luke chapter 7 verse 48, and I warn you I will be giving you quite a few scriptures to remember what I'm saying today. A woman who anointed Christ in Simon the leper's house, Jesus said these words. I want you to just really think about this. If you're a believer today, this could have been you there if you'd lived in the time of Jesus. You live at a different time, but He said this to you when you put your faith and trust in Him. He said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. Now, we talked in Sunday school this morning about authority, didn't we? I mean, there is no greater authority than he who walked this earth as the Son of God. And when he said, thy sins are forgiven, they are done away with. Everything Jesus said was true, factual, and you can put 100% assurance on it. When he told that thief on the cross that day, this day you'll be with me in paradise, his sins were forgiven, and that day he was with Jesus in paradise. I mean, just think of that. When you were converted in some way, somehow, the Holy Spirit conveyed this truth right here to your soul, your sins are forgiven in the blood of Christ. And he's been your Savior ever since. And you have rejoiced in that. That we have an intercessor at the right hand of the Father even today. That even when we sin, those sins are covered. Father, forgive me. What a blessing. And again, this is predicated upon that finished work, which in John 19 and 30, Jesus said from the cross, It is finished. Done. Over with. The plan of redemption accomplished. Salvation fulfilled as prophesied by the death of cross, Christ on the cross and His blood. Nothing can match it. There's no knowledge can match it. There's no act you can do to match it. No deed, no gift, no experience, no nothing that can match the joy of knowing your sins have been forgiven. Now associated with that, we just take one more step forward to something else. 
What does that knowledge provide? Not just joy, but there's kind of an intermediate thing there that happens. When a person is converted and by faith lays hold of the finished work of Christ, believing their sins have been forgiven, probably immediately before that joy, there is something called peace. Because when a person is agonizing over sin, there is no peace. When a peace in his under, person is under the burden of sin, there is no peace. People think they have peace. People think they experience peace. But they don't know what peace is till you've been saved by the blood of Christ. Then we have a peace that Paul said in Philippians chapter 4 verse 7, The peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And he was speaking to believers there. Philippians 4, 7. The peace of God. Something that believers have that nobody else has. The only way you can have the peace of God is through He who is our peace, the only begotten Son of God. The peace of God passes understanding. You know, I guess we could say here there's two things. Maybe I'll preach on it sometime. There's two, well, there's a lot of things we don't understand. You probably wouldn't preach. But two things we don't understand is the deceitfulness of our own heart and the peace, of, peace that passes understanding that God gives, isn't it? But when you have this peace which comes in knowing your sins have been forgiven, then that is the platform for joy, isn't it? And uh, others have said this, and I've preached this too. There is no joy where there is no peace. There must be peace for there to be joy. It's a necessary condition. And these things appear simultaneously many times together in the Bible. Let me just remind you of that in a few verses. Romans chapter 14. Then verse 17, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Now we bring another element into it. Where there is salvation, there is Christ. Where there is Christ, there is peace. Where there is peace, there is joy. And the provision for these things by our conversion experience is the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. If you have peace, you have the Holy Spirit. If you have peace, you have Christ. If you have joy, you have Christ. You have the Holy Spirit because He's the one who provides these things. There it is. Peace and joy, and notice again, in the Holy Spirit. No Holy Spirit, no peace, no joy in that regard. Just uh, follow, follow through this with me a little bit in the next chapter too. 15 of Romans and verse 13. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Notice again. Peace and joy because of and through and in the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.2 makes it very plain when it says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. So, bottom line is, no Holy Spirit, no peace, no joy, no Christ, no born again, no remission of sins. Very simple. Fruit of the Spirit. Have you ever seen fruit just out there in midair? 
where you could just like it suspended in space? No, it grows on a tree, doesn't it? It has a source. So without the source or the person of the Holy Spirit within you, you're not going to have peace and you're not going to be joy. But if He is there, there will be peace and there will be joy. We touched on this not too long ago in the message we preached in 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 1 there, uh, in verses 4 and 5 there, verse 5 particularly, but in verse 6 it said there, "...you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost." So again, all this is a package. It all comes together. Alright? When we're saved, we're born again. The work of the Holy Spirit working in the center, the forgiveness of sin, the exercise of faith by which we're given, knowing our sins have been forgiven by the blood of Christ, peace, joy, presence of the Holy Spirit. Now this is important because I'll take you back now to that first sermon in the words of Jesus when he talked about his joy in John 14 and 17, to, or 27 to begin with. John 14, 27. <clears throat> Here he speaks about peace, first of all, and then we'll go to the joy scriptures. Peace I leave with you. Only he could do that. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. It's His peace, it's His joy, it's His grace, it's His atonement, it's His salvation. You got one, you got it all. Again, you may have it by degrees, not your salvation, but the peace and the joy. We grow in those things and in our faith. But again, it is a gift. Christ has provided it in the atonement. Now, I want to pause right here before I go into the next... Well, let me read the next scripture. In John chapter 15 and verse 11, he says, These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy may be full. I want you to think a moment what Jesus is talking about here in these two verses when he says, My peace and my joy. The normal thing, if I was to talk to you or in a conversation or anybody is conversing and they're saying, well, my peace, my joy, my happiness, my this, we would think immediately about that person's feelings, wouldn't we? Yeah, we would. That's the way we converse. That's the way we talk. That's the language you use. Jesus wasn't talking about giving His feelings to us so we could feel something that He felt. Okay, we're, that's the emotional level. That's the superficial level. That's the world's level. Jesus is actually talking about a spiritual gift here. It's something much more than a feeling. Not some emotional feeling. A virtue that goes to the very depth of the human soul. Peace. Peace based on what? Not having war without or strife without? No. Being reconciled to God within knowing your sins are forgiven. It goes to the deepest part of our being. Christ put something there in the human soul. He bypassed emotions. Yes, you can feel something emotionally, but it's because of what He did within. So, okay. 
Now, sometimes we we do this and we say this, and there's nothing wrong with it. You know, I'm 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 happy that such and such and such, and I want to share that news with you, and you shared my happiness. Well, we can be emotionally happy together. That's fine. That's wonderful. But what we're talking about here goes to the very depth of sin, humanity, and eternity, and forgiveness. It's much more than that. All right? So, I say that because, again, there's people that are out there preaching and would preach that that Jesus was just so happy all the time, and, and, you know, He just wanted everybody else to be as happy as He was. I've heard that garbage. And the Bible doesn't say anything about Jesus being happy and fun-loving and Humorous, and it, it doesn't. Jesus was much more serious than that. That would have been distraction. It distracts us. You know, because we get it out of whack. There's nothing wrong with being happy and joyous in certain ways, but it can get the best of us or distract us from the things that are real important. We're talking about the very core of the matter. But do note there, John fifteen eleven. My joy remain in you And his desire is that that joy might be full, okay? So when he said this, it was not what it could be. But his desire and hope for his disciples would be that it would increase. It would keep going up, going up, going up, going up to achieve the maximum potential that could be achieved in this life. Well, that's what I want for you. I would, I would like to give that to the world if I could, couldn't you? Well, I can't. But all I can do is remind you who have this joy that it can be greater than what you have right now. I can't make that happen, but he can. And that's what I want to discuss here with you. All right, let's look at those other scriptures quickly. Just a page over, 16 and 24. Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name, Ask and ye shall receive that your joy may be full. And then in 17 and 13, the intercessory prayer, And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Okay, there again, his, it was not there to its full capacity, but the potential for filling or fulfilled was there. John 17, 13. And finally, of course, John uh, taking those same words of the Lord Jesus Christ when he wrote the little epistle of 1 John in 1 John chapter 4, and, or 1 in verse 4, said, These things write we unto you that your joy may be full. Now, you know the story of the disciples they didn't have what we're talking about to a very high degree when Jesus was with them. And when Jesus died and before His resurrection, they were in a diswrought state, weren't they? They thought the whole world had fell apart. They did not remember. They did not apply the Scriptures that Jesus had told them that He would be resurrected from the dead and so forth and so on. And they really seemed like a bunch of helpless losers. Just like it was all going to fall to pieces right then and there, didn't it? I mean, if you look at them from the human side, 
before Jesus revealed to himself to them after his resurrection and then assured them and built up their confidence and opened the scriptures to their understanding during that 40 day period which I believe was a very precious and important period in the apostles life and got them ready for the immersion in the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost so that then they could take off very important they didn't have, their joy wasn't full. But, and it didn't get full on Pentecost. But you see it after Pentecost, you see throughout the book of Acts, and you see the apostles, you see the development of Peter, you see Paul in his letters, you see that development there. And that's, that's exactly the way ours should be. You know, I mean, we're not charged. Our battery's not spiritually charged 100% when God saves us. It's something we work at. Our faith grows. Let me illustrate that to you. Look at Acts chapter 13, if you will. This, of course, uh, Acts 13, the first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas. And let's read verses 50 through 52. All right, back to Sunday school this morning. Uh, they're preaching the gospel, and it says in verse 50, But the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women and the chief men of their city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coast. They shook off the dust of their feet against them and came unto Iconium, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. Now that's a bad thing that just happened. They just got run off, run out. And instead of being discouraged and saying, well, we're not going to preach anymore because this is the kind of results we're getting. No, they went to a new place and were full of... This is what I mean. External circumstances cannot rob you of your joy unless you're just willing to give it up. They had a reason to be unhappy, yet they were happy and full of joy because of the spiritual working of the Holy Spirit within them. All right? You think their joy wasn't fuller then? than it was before, you know, Pentecost, and when they were mulling about and gloomy and all of that. Yeah. So you can see that development even in the, the apostles. And that's the way it is with us also, that our joy may develop, mature, and grow. Well, well how's that literally going to happen, preacher? How's, how's that going to happen? Well, again, it's not going to happen without the Holy Spirit. And without something else. Ephesians chapter 5. In fact, a couple of scriptures in Ephesians 1 and 5 and 18. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. We've already established that peace and joy only comes with the Holy Spirit. So you're not going to have a whole lot of the Holy Spirit and be lacking in peace and joy. And it's impossible to be on the clouds with peace and joy and not have it being an effect of the Holy Spirit. It all goes together. And we're told be filled with the Spirit. Been a long time, but we preached on that, didn't we? What it means to be filled with the Spirit. Bottom line, I'll just sum it up real quick here. Yielded, submissive, totally to the Spirit's presence, power, and work in your life. Just let Him have free reign in that regard. But not to the negligence of knowledge of Scripture. You can't sit around with a closed book and pray and think you're going to be filled with the Spirit. It's not going to happen. 
You can't sit at home and, and uh, not come to church and think you're going to be filled with the Spirit. It's not going to happen. And you can read the Bible over and over and over again and, and neglect the Holy Spirit and you're again, you're not going to have a peace and joy that, that's possible. They work together. They work together. The third chapter in verse 19 of Ephesians. <clears throat> and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Okay? Know the love of Christ. Do you know the love of Christ? We know it, but only by degree. Because the previous verse says we're trying to comprehend what the breadth, length, and depth, and height is of something that is too big for us. Yes. But the more we know of it, the more we're filled with the knowledge and with the fullness of Christ and filled with the Spirit, the knowledge and the Holy Spirit go together. They must go together. People who claim to be filled with the Holy Spirit and don't know one ounce of truth, they're filled with something, but it ain't the Holy Spirit. Mark it down. They go together. If you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, yield yourself to growth in the knowledge of the Word and yield yourself to the Spirit and see what happens. It's like water and fertilizer. <laughs> I mean, stuff's going to happen to a plant when it gets water and fertilizer. All right? It takes both in that regard. And then there's a scripture in Colossians I want to mention right quickly before we... We leave this point. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 9. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. You see, you, you get the gist of this? That when you are saved, a deposit is made, but the account is wide open. I mean, you have faith. You don't have to have a lot, but boy, the potential for faith is wide open. You have that initial peace in knowing your sins is given, but the more you learn what it took to, to accomplish that, man, your peace grows. And if your peace grows, your joy grows. And that all comes by knowledge of the Word and by the Holy Spirit. And everything is just a feeling, 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 feeling. That's what sanctification is. So... The joy of salvation only increases as these other things increase. And it's a package deal. Amen. It's a package deal. Now, let me give you an example here. Be filled with the Spirit and the knowledge of the Word. Think about, we're not going to go there, it's way too long and we're not even going to pick through it. Psalms 119. That longest psalm of all psalms. And throughout that psalm, what is David just ecstatic about? God's Word. God's testimonies, God's statutes, God's commandments. I mean, I'm going to use an expression. You would have thought, you know, I'll use the analogy. If, if David had been a heroin addict, the God's word was the heroin. I mean, it's, it's almost that analogy. I mean, he craved it. He desired it. He was ecstatic about having it and what it did for him. Uh, that's it. I mean, that whole psalm is about that. 
I mean, he is just carried away with desire and the benefits and the effect of God's Word. Well, do you think he felt that way because of just the Word? Well, no, it's, again, it's the Holy Spirit. He was filled with the Word and the Spirit working together. It was internal. It was divine. It was supernatural. Kind of makes me think of, uh, again, how that uh, nothing external could quench that. You know, John 16, 22 is the one that says, your joy nobody can take from you. In John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, remember when Christian was at the house of the interpreter and he went in that room? I love this illustration. It applies to so many things. He looked over in the corner of the room and there was a fire burning. Remember that? And then there was this guy with buckets of water and he'd walk up and throw water on the fire and it'd dim. the flame would just die a little but it just sprang right back. This guy just kept pouring water on it. Kept pouring water on it. No matter how much water he poured on it, that, that flame would just keep burning Never even thought about going out and would just spring him back to life. He thought that's the funniest thing I've ever seen, right? Couldn't figure it out. Until the, the interpreter took him around behind the wall in the corner and back behind the fire there was a guy back there putting oil on it, fueling the fire, you see. Marvelous. I love that illustration. My heart leaps with joy every time I think about it. That's God's work of the Holy Spirit. No matter what happens without here, it can't get quenched because it's being fueled from back there. God fills us from in here. What happens out here can only damper it down a little bit. It can only knock the flame down a little bit. And even that is up to us about how we're going to deal with it. Amen. And you know, resisting the devil is all about, you know, fuel the fire, Lord. Give me more of thy spirit, more of thy word, more of thy grace. That's it. Calling for help from behind. That's it. I believe this is exactly what is pictured in the 23rd Psalm with David when we get down to those latter verses, verse 5, next to the last verse of that Psalm, and David says, My cup runneth over. That's our subject. That's the joy of salvation. Now, you might say, well, you know, when I started this, I asked you, I said, when you read the Psalms, do you just read about David and think, oh boy, he really had it. I wish I could have it, you know. Wish that was possible for me. Or do you really associate it? Well, shame on you if you just sat back and read it and think he's got something you can't have. Shame on you. Everything I've read to you in the New Testament is talking about my cup runneth over. Do you want it to run over? And first of all, we must, there's a whole process here. You must start examining what's in your cup. Start, first of all, if you don't have the right ingredients of the right things, then it don't matter if it runs over. David's cup was running over because of the right things. You say, how do you know that? Because if you read that, there are eight things that precede him saying, my cup runneth over. What? Well, actually not. The Lord is my shepherd, number one. And then there are eight things the shepherd does. He leads me beside the waters. He maketh me, you know, I mean, He leaves me in green pasture, still waters, prepares a table before Him, to me, all those things. I'm not going to quote it. But there are eight things that He does. And it's building. So it's building. Let's read it. 
The Lord is my shepherd. There's the first thing. Now, notice what he does. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pasture. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. I mean, it's a crescendo. And finally, he says, My cup runneth over. That's it. You see? It didn't run over when he lay down in green pastures. You know, I mean, I mean, this is a crescendo. It just builds there. And he is reflecting of all that the good shepherd has done for him. Do you want your joy to be full? That's it. It's not a mystery. It's not hard. It's not difficult. Read the Word. Read the Bible. Read what great things God hath done for you and is doing for you and He's not done yet down here, much less up there. And if your joy don't get full, you need to go back to square one and start examining what's really in your cup. When's the last time you felt like your cup runs over? Just answer it to yourself. Have you ever experienced that? I ask that to those who may be hearing on the tape. Somebody may be saying, I don't know what that means, my cup runneth over. If you know what those things are I just read previously, if those apply to you, then again, your cup's going to run over. It can't help but run over. That's the grace of God. That's the love of God. That's the salvation and atonement of Christ. Because you see, the believer has got the right ingredients in their cup. I mean, we got the right stuff. It's been given to us. God gave us His Son. He gave us His grace. He gave us the Holy Spirit. He gave us the new birth. He gave us faith. All these things are His. He's given to us. He put them in the cup. All we've got to do is do some stirring. It's just going to keep running over like an artesian well. And it is so sad when we look at our fellow creatures and those who we care about or love and and their cup runs over one moment and is dry the next. You've got to go buy something or get something or do something to even get something in the cup. Ours is a fountain. Amen. It's up to us. Put the right stuff in there, it'll overflow. It'll never run empty. What a blessing. What a blessing. And then I want to make this point before we wrap it up. We talked about the sinners who, you know, only joy in the senses and what have you. Isn't it wonderful that you can have greater joy with the senses and through the senses because of the joy of salvation? I mean, the experiences. And again, remember, I'm saying this. I'm not digressing. I want to make a point here. We learn things. You know, we experience things how? God designed it through the five senses. But if you just left to your five senses, you'll die and go to hell. I mean, if you try to interpret God through the five senses, you're going to go to hell. If you want to figure out creation through the five senses, you'll be an idolater, evolutionist, a new ager, you'll go to hell. It takes more than the senses. But when God saves a person... <laughs> Those senses are now enhanced to give glory to God. I mentioned this at the first at the first one. You know, we're not a botanist that looks at a rose and studies it and learns all the science about it and what have you. No. 
We're not an evolutionist that looks and says, says, well, I'm sure glad that thing evolved. I wonder what it come from. No! The Christian looks at a rose and says, the handiwork of God. Praise God for creating something that beautiful and that fragrant that somebody like me could experience and feel joy. And I don't, I don't mean to carry this where it's not, but again, you can do that. Without the grace of God, you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't lift that rose to your nose and smell that sweet fragrance and think, this is a gift of God. That I, I can literally have joy in looking at that thing, in smelling of that thing, because God has made that possible. Otherwise, I'd, it's just a flower. It's here and gone and what have you. You know, and, and we can sit and look at the Grand Canyon or look at the mountains or look at the ocean and think, God did it. That ocean's right here because God said right here's where you stop. You know, I mean, it's just, has your senses not been awakened to the praise of God since God saved you? So again, there's another element that that by and through the saving grace of God, we have a greater knowledge of the Creator and all He's put here for us to enjoy. You know, a wonderful thing about this joy is, and I'm experiencing this, is even though with age and our health and other things deteriorates, your joy doesn't have to go down the tube with it. <laughs> In fact, it, it really is just the opposite, isn't it? The longer we live, the more we experience, the more we grow, the more we learn, and the more we're filled with the Spirit. And, you know, and again, our tank keeps getting fuller and our cup runs over more. The bodily things are a hindrance. But again, they can only damper the joy. Because again, we're talking about something within, not without. It cannot diminish. It can just keep growing while the body grows frail and weary. We, 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 our joy doesn't have to diminish when we go to the deathbed. I mean, turn with me to Acts. Let's wrap this up pretty quickly here with a few closing comments. Acts chapter 20, verse 24. <clears throat> Paul is saying here to the Ephesian elders at Miletus, seeing them for the last time and not knowing what awaits him. He says in verse 22, I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing what will befall me there, saving the Holy Ghost witness every city. Bonds and afflictions abide in me. Verse 24, But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry which I have received the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of grace of God. Notice verse 24, the first part. None of these things move me. And just forget the little phrase, neither count I my life dear unto myself, and read it together. None of these things move me so that I may finish my course with joy. You got that? Now Paul been in trouble throughout his life. We studied it in 2 Corinthians. I mean, nobody got in more trouble than Paul did. He didn't quit. And he says, right now, I'm going to Jerusalem and I don't know what's going to happen. And he didn't say, I don't care. But he said, it's not going to move me or upset me and I'm not going to worry about it. He's saying, what's important to me is that I finish the race with the same joy that I've been running the race with. And this is why Christians can get sick and die with joy. That's it. Disease can't take it away. Cancer cannot take your joy. 
or any other disease. I mean, we may go out of our mind and our reasoning and our knowledge and dementia or Alzheimer's may take away the word and the knowledge and the source of that joy. But it's still going to be there. And the moment we take our last breath, <laughs> we're going to be consciously aware of that joy again. I'm saying this to you. In fact, I'll read it. Matthew chapter 25. I'll just read one, one deal there. This is a parable. In Matthew 25, you know about the talents. And I'm just going to read verse 21 20, or 23 that's repeated. The well done, thou good and faithful servant, thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. My point is this. We experience the joy of the Lord now. And all death is, is a transition from joy to greater joy. That's it. That, that, that's it. I mean, death doesn't quench the believer's joy. It, it, you know, it, it's not even, I don't even like saying it's a door. I'm, I'm just going to say it's a transition. Joy, joy just ushers us closer. It's the boat that takes us across the river. A Christian who's dying and relishing in the joy of the Lord has only got greater joy to look forward to. That's what Paul's saying. I want to finish it with joy, regardless of what happened. Paul, as history says, got his head lopped off. It may have seemed like he got defeated in the flesh. The martyrs that were burned, stoned, drowned, and all that may have seemed like they were defeated. But tears form in our eyes when we read about them being burnt at the stake and them singing praises and hymns unto God. That's what we're talking about. Their cups were running over while their bodies were in tortures. That's the transition. What a beautiful picture of transition from joy to greater joy. If somebody should hear me today and not have a clue of what kind of joy I'm talking about, I'd just say to you, you can know. Peter said it's joy unspeakable and full of glory. And all we who believe have found it to be so. And for it to be your joy, you need Christ. You need to believe the gospel, repent and believe the gospel, trust in Christ, recognize you're a sinner, recognize that when Christ died for, on that cross, that He died for you, that it was personal, that your sins have been put away, and you can have the peace and joy in the Holy Spirit that the rest of us believers do. But without that, it's impossible. You will have the superficial and never experience the real ultimate joy that our God has made possible for those who believe in Jesus Christ. If I'm speaking to someone today, and I'm going to speak to this tape audience, it's hard for me to do, you know, because I'm not looking at people. I'm speaking into a device. And now that we're doing other kinds of video and stuff, but I'll speak to you if you hear me. If you're a Christian and you're backslidden, there's hope also. Because the first scripture I gave you in the first message for the text was David in Psalm 51 after his sin with Bathsheba requesting, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Again, thy salvation. I want it back. Sin has marred it. I want it back. And all you have to do is do what David did in Psalm 51 and you'll get it back. There's hope for the backslider. 
I close with this. Psalm 32 and 11. What a blessing it is. May you carry it with you. May I do it. May the Holy Ghost allow us and strengthen us to do it. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous. And shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. May our cups overflow. God bless this to your hearing.